people find Christ and find community, that's why we exist as a church. Finding ways to, to uh, help reach people so that they can know Christ for themselves. But not so that they can say a prayer and think, oh, I got into heaven, I'm good. But that they might know Jesus each and every day. It's, it's the mission of my life, the mission of our hearts. And as a church, should be ours, that we pursue him. And that's why we're doing this series called I Am. That we would just see how God reveals himself, who he is, that we might know him. Uh, Daniel talks about how the people who know their God do mighty things. They, they, they do great exploits. And our hope is that we've, we're a church full of people who are going to do great exploits. But rather than sending people out to do great things, which you can't do on your own, we just want to encourage you to dig in deep to know God and watch what happens as a result in your life. You know, as a, I'd encourage you to take some notes today, some of the things maybe that you hear me say, but I'd more so rather things to sort of, uh, that, that jump out to you that you're like, oh, I didn't have that thought before, and to, and to jot that down and take it home, think about it. Even if you forget your page, you'll remember those things uh, much longer just simply because you wrote it down. So I'd encourage you to do that. You can find some note sheets in front of you. Uh, you know, when, I do a, when you do a series, part of me, there's this thing, I like it, I like it all to fit together neatly. I, I kind of, I, I like it if it's like, if every point works together, if the whole series works together, and then sometimes they don't. And it sort of messes with me. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, I'm not sure how this is going to go because it doesn't fit as neatly as I, I, I'd hope. But I've realized, uh, and even just after last night, that the, the proof is that we really don't need neat sermons. We need his voice. And as we mentioned this morning, you know, as we're listening for his voice, it sounds different to different people. You look at David, and as David writes about it in Psalm 29, man, the voice is powerful, and it's loud, and it thunders, and it's like, it's doing like massive things. And, you know, Elijah, he would beg to differ in 1 Kings 19. He'd say, well, wait a second, David, you know, like, no, like, I saw all that massive stuff, but that wasn't where I heard God's voice. It was this still, small voice. You know, just, it was nothing to do with the big stuff. For some, they'd say, yeah, I didn't ever heard the voice outside there. Maybe that's you as well. But, like, in Acts, we see often as, as they were preaching, the people listening would be, it said they're cut to the heart. They're like, man... Peter, what do I do? I've heard God's voice. What do I do? And I pray that that may happen this morning. For some, it was through dreams, through visions. It doesn't really matter how. It just matters that we hear his voice. And even more so, what we do with it once we hear it. Hebrews 3.15, it says this, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And that's my prayer for us this morning. Not if you hear my voice or hear something, but if you hear his voice. If there's something that triggers on the inside of you, you're like, man, I, I'm pretty sure this is the Lord, that you'd be obedient to do what he says. That, and it, believe me, it will be for your good. Because I think about that, we often talk about hearing his voice. Uh, it, it's something we, we truly desire um, more and more in our own lives. But I realize that we become numb to things. I don't know about you if you realize that you become we become numb sometimes we intentionally numb things we have pain we're like oh let's grab some advil tylenol maybe both let's numb the pain for a while people numb pain in their lives with many different things intentionally on purpose and yet there's things where we're unintentionally numbed by a lot of things going on as well there's such an overload of information i don't know about you you like you give on twitter or whatever it's just it's, it's non-stop information it's just an overload and pretty soon you just become numb to things you read these headlines, shocking news, and it, and it doesn't shock you. You know, it's like this stuff of like, you know, this guy destroys this guy in a debate. And you're like, man, you know, seen that, been there, done that. You just scroll right on by. Well, what's happening? 
You become numb to things simply because there's, you, you have so much of it. And that's kind of the way our brains are wired, actually. Our brains are wired that we always need a little bit more in order to, to, to um, have that, that wow factor happen in our life. It's always this, this desire for just a little bit more. And, and, and it works positively and negatively. Negatively, it works in the, in the area of addiction. If any of you ever struggle with addiction, you know you didn't start there. It wasn't like, yeah, I hope to be like a raging alcoholic someday. Let me have the first drink. It was never that. It was like, let me try this. And it's like, oh, I need a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Same with every addiction. Drug addiction, pornography, everything. It starts small and it's 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 that wiring of our brain. We become numb. You know, our cultural morality in society is drifts and keeps drifting. You'll be like... Yeah, like, is there anything they haven't thought of? And we're like, man, this is this has got to be the end of this, right? And then it's like, oh no, it goes a little further, a little further. That that's how it works. It's this it's this numbing effect that happens simply because we always need just a little bit more, and we're wired that way on purpose. And we'll come back to that at the end. But I think that what happens to us sometimes is we unintentionally numb ourselves to things. We unintentionally minimize things that are really, really important. We minimize truths or, or, or things that should wow us and should shock us. And they, they don't wow us and they don't shock us. And it'd be things that we find in here that we, that we should see and go every time. Oh, that's incredible. And yet we will see today that there's lots of the times where we see incredible things and it no longer shocks or amazes us. You know, a few times um, in Scripture, Jesus would take a child and he'd put them in front of the people. And he'd say, hey, I want you to be more like this child. Remember that? He talked about how they have faith, they trust. He wasn't saying like, oh, be immature like little kids. He's like, no, but look at how these kids trust. They, they, have, they have a faith that you could emulate. You know, things about kids, man, they have wonder and awe. You ever, like, a photo of a child with a, with a bubble, and it's like, they look at that bubble like, wow. You guys see a bubble, and you're like, seen that. There's no awe and wonder. You know, you give a, a toddler a, a, you know, a present when they're, when they're a child for their birthday, and they got the cardboard box, and they're like, whoa! You know, they're just excited about the box. Give me a box for my birthday today. I'm not going to be quite as excited. What happened? Numb. Fireworks. Last night, you know, sitting there watching these fireworks, and hear people like, ooh, ah, wow. But it's only the little kids that mean it. They're like, oh, it's like, I've never seen this before. This awe, this amazement, this wonder. And yet, they're amazing things. It's just we've become numb to them. And so two things I want to draw our attention today that I think we become numb to, and I think we do ourselves a favor to recognize it and not allow that, is these two things. Number one, that Jesus rose from the dead. And number two, that as a result, we're forgiven of sin. That Jesus rose from the dead. And that as a result, we're forgiven of sin. You in John 11? I'm going to jump in. Didn't hear too many amens yet, but oh man. I'm going to denumb you if I can. A few weeks ago, we talked about where Jesus was out of town and he gets the message from his friends. Hey, your buddy Lazarus, he's dying. He's really sick. He's not going to make it more than a couple days. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll give him a couple days. It's true. It says he loved him, but he didn't go. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the way Jesus loves isn't the way that we always think love should look like. And he let his friend die. Then Jesus decides, let's go. And Thomas is like, oh man, let's just go die with him. And Jesus is like, Thomas, you probably need counseling after this, but come along, let's go. And they go. And as they're almost there, word gets to Mary and Martha that, that Jesus is on the way. 
And they're like, man, we just buried our brother. Like, it's too late. But Martha runs out to speak to Jesus. And here's, here's what happens. John eleven twenty one. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's a thought about that. I thought about like the, you know, the, the Roman centurion who just said, Jesus, you don't even have to go. Just say the word and he'll be healed. She was like, you know, Jesus, if you had only done what I, what I needed you to do, if you'd only been here, you know, Lazarus would have been saved, thinking, I know, Jesus, what you should have done. But she says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. In verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha's like, yeah, he's going to rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus told her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives, lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? She's like, yes, Lord. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who would come into the world from God. And hear the tears in her voice. But Jesus reveals to her something he hasn't revealed to anybody yet. He's like, I am the resurrection. We talked about it previously where, when, with, with love, where Jesus talks about being Love itself, John describes God as love. It's not that he has it, it, he can't do anything but love. And the same thing is here. Jesus explains to her, she's like, Martha, I don't know if you realize this, but like, I am the resurrection. I don't just have the power to resurrect people. I'm going to show you that in a second. But I am resurrection life. Like, death has no power over me. Not because of what I can do, but because of who I am. And then not long after this, Jesus actually, you know, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And everybody's like, oh, oh, that's amazing. They still don't catch it, the fact that this is who he is. Because when he dies and he ends up in the tomb, they all do the same thing that they did with Lazarus. They all begin to weep and mourn and, and hide out. I love how one preacher said, you know, there was nobody on Easter morning. The disciples weren't on Easter morning. They're like, oh, before the sun comes up, they all run to the tomb. And they're like, man, here comes the sun. Peter starts 10, 9, 8, 7. They think he's going to walk right out. We know it. Like he's the resurrection and the life. Death has no hold on him. No, they, they, they had no idea. They, they, they weren't wowed and awed by the fact that Jesus had simply said, man, I'm the resurrection and the life. They tr- try and kill me. <laughs> Watch what happens. I'll come back to life. He had told them. But can you imagine the shock, you know, when they get there and it's like the tomb's empty and they begin to wonder and think and then they see him alive? Man, they are so wowed by that. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And it's what they go and they preach about over and over and over again in Acts. As they go through Acts and you read the sermons, they don't go around saying, hey, you know, we had this buddy, he could walk on water. We think you should believe in him. You know, we had this guy, he actually fed 5,000 people. We think you should believe in him. They didn't go around and say, you know, he told some good stories. He told this story about this kid who left his dad and ended up in a pig pen and then came home. We think you should believe in him. They didn't tell any of those. What did they tell? Let me just read them for you. You can jot them down and look them up later. We'll put them on the screen. They'll go a little quick. But Acts chapter 2, verse 32, and on it says this. As Peter preached to the people in the streets of Jerusalem, God Raise Jesus from the dead. We're all witnesses of this. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sin and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 3, to the crowd in the temple, he says, You rejected this holy, righteous one. Instead, demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. 
And we're witnesses of this fact. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so your sins might be wiped away. When God raised up a servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Acts 5. Now he's speaking to some religious leaders. He says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. And then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would what? Repent of their sins and be forgiven. Acts 10 verse 39, we see it to the Gentiles. He says, and we apostles were witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But what? God raised him to life on the third day. And then God allowed him to appear to us. Verse 43 says, he's the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. See a commonality in there? I put it in yellow just in case. What do they keep saying over and over? God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead, and as a result, sins can be forgiven. Jesus was raised from the dead, and as a result, sins can be forgiven. I know we're not like a Pentecostal church, but people should have been amening that. No, no, too late. No, I'm just, actually, I'll take it. Think about this for a second, because here's the thought. Maybe it's, you know, that we don't actually believe it. You're like, Jesus rose from the dead. If that doesn't impress you that much, I'd encourage you to go try it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm like, okay, wait a second. He actually, he did it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty stinking impressive. Jesus rose from the dead. Man. As a result, we're forgiven for our sin. You know, I think sometimes that's why we become numb to it. We actually become numb to this thought that Jesus rising from the dead isn't that exciting of a thing. Maybe we've heard it so much, but I think it also ties to the second thought that we minimize and we've become numb to the second part is that we've been forgiven from sin. Think about that for one minute. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? I've been forgiven for my sin. You've been forgiven for your sin. What does that look like? Does it stir up great gratitude in your life? Like, oh, praise his name. Oh, man. Or, or have you become numb to it? Like, yeah, yeah, okay, I know. Yeah, I remember giving my, saying a prayer when I'm a kid. I'm, you know, forgiven of my sin. You know, as I, as I go through life, I'm always looking for illustrations. I'm always looking for, like, those word pictures that I can hopefully help people understand the principles of what's happening in Scripture. Jesus did it all the time, finding stories. So even yesterday, as I was just preparing, kind of going over my final spot of this note, I got this, uh, this text in a gardener's chat. And the gardener's chat, somebody sent a picture of a devotional. And it, it talked about how uh, they, they said, you know, it's, it's like in the garden as the weeds grow. This one lady had said, well, you know, there's times, that, you know, I, I just figured if I let the weeds grow a while, they're a little easier to grab and pull out. And so she, so she did. And as she pulled the weeds out, she looks and she says, you know, but what I realize is when you pull them out, yeah, they come out, but they take a whole lot of dirt with them. And it's like, as, because I left them so long, they end up leaving all these scars all over my garden. She said, you know, it's kind of like that with sin. We think we can leave it a little while, but if we let it grow too much and then we pull it out, man, it leaves scars. It's like powerful. Good thought. Good thought. And as I'm sitting there, I'm sweating in my upstairs room. I'm like, man, what is wrong with my air conditioner? I put my feet over the vent. I'm like, man, there's like nothing coming out. And I was like, when's the last time I've changed the filter? Not I can't remember. So I go downstairs, I check the furnace, and I always write the date on there, December 24. 
I'm like, probably should have been done before now. And I pull it out, and it's rounded, like, into the furnace. And, and we, what's it covered in? Just little tiny particles of dust. Like, one little particle of dust doesn't do much. But as it just keeps piling up and keeps piling up, it eventually plugs the flow. And I was like, man, isn't that how it happens in our lives sometimes? Where it's like we allow these little things in our life. And we're like, man, God, I just feel like I, 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 don't, I don't sense your presence. Lord, I feel like I, I don't hear your voice or whatever. We've just allowed all this stuff to just plug up the filter. I'm like, mm, powerful, powerful talk. Mm. But neither one of those really grabbed me that much. Maybe they didn't, gra- didn't really grab you either. But then something happened a couple of weeks ago. That just grabbed my attention. I was driving down my driveway and I look out in my pasture to see, check on my cows, and I see this little calf walking around. Oh, I know. This is Daisy. I mean, like, we just, let's take a minute just to enjoy Daisy. Here, here's another angle. Oh, I know, Daisy and Mom out for a stroll. Just close up. Do we have a close up? Like, they do not come any cuter than that or tastier. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. Good, good. I just wanted a reaction. I get it's good. But there's my cute little calf, and I was like, "Woo! I'm excited." You know, those are always great days. And then a couple days um, after she was born, I'm, I'm kind of walking out in the field, and and I, and I see her, and she she doesn't, she doesn't look she looks a little strange. She's like jumping around and she's kicking. And I'm like, "Oh, she's a happy calf," but she's just way too happy. She's jumping and dancing all over the place, and but she didn't look right. I've had other calves. I'm like, this one just doesn't. Something's not right. As I came back later, I looked again. I'm like, yeah, she's still doing this. It's like, it's a little strange. And, and her ears were drooping. I'm like, she just doesn't look well at all. So I got on, my, on Facebook. I go to my Highland group. I'm like, hey, I got this calf doing some strange things. What do you guys think? And, and then I went and Googled it. And a couple of them came back and said, I don't know, maybe, maybe she's got the fly strike. And I'm like, fly strike? I'm like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, so I, I call my friend Eugene. He's a cattle guy. And I was like, ask him, hey, you know, I think this calf has fly strike. He's like, no. Uh, he's like, they don't get that. And so I'm like, okay, well, something's not right with it. Can you come take a look? He's like, yeah. So I send him a video. He's like, yeah, something's not right. So he, he comes down and we go out in the field. And we're like, okay, we're going to have to plan how we're going to trap and catch this thing. Because they're, they're, they're like deer. They just take off. And as we go out in the field, like we walked right up to her and just picked her right up. She didn't go anywhere. And we're like, okay, something is definitely wrong with this calf. Carry her out of the pen, lay her down on the ground. and have a hard time describing what happens next. But as we laid her on the ground and we lifted her back leg, we knew it was her, you know, the back end is where everything wasn't, wasn't you know, quite right. And we find just clusters of maggots. Yeah, just disgusting. This writhing masses in her fur. And what had happened is the mom hadn't cleaned her well enough. And the flies had come and laid eggs on, on the manure on her butt. But when those maggots hatched, they got hungry. And they began to go through the manure and began to eat her alive. And they were under her skin, crawling through. And we're trying to pick them. We can't even get to them because they're under her skin. And it was like the smell, the look, like the, just, the, the, just absolutely disgusting and I was like that's what sin in our life is like see we think sometimes we minimize that word and think ah it's just one of these things but you know that calf if we hadn't got to her then what's a matter of days she's dead it's this thing that she had no hope on her own to do anything she needed somebody to come in and rescue her and I thought man that's us too as I read and reading, planning to do a sermon on heaven and hell, I watched how Jesus described hell as the place where the maggots never die. 
I'm like, ugh. Like it is this repulsive response. And I love that that was your response. But that should be our response to this thing called sin. In our lives, we're like, ugh, no. It's never worth it. It's never minimum. It's never just a little speck of dust. It is that maggot that's eating me alive. You know, I thought about it, man. I thought once that calf surrendered and allowed us, it took us the next two hours of washing it, picking out every maggot possible. Some of the skin had to come off, treating the wounds uh, with whatever you know, we had, and then you know, shaving all of that hair so we could expose the dark areas to light. Because Eugene told me, he says, maggots can't live where there's the light. They hate that. They're going to go look for dark areas. And he's like, you know, there's a sermon illustration in that. I'm like, thank you very much. <laughs> Because as painful as it was for that calf, as the light's being exposed to the darkness, it saved her life. And my prayer is this morning, as his word shines in our hearts, it brings light to some things that might be a little dark. And it might be a little painful. It might be a little awkward as we sit here. But man, may it bring life to us in hope. That's my prayer. Because that's the good news of the gospel. That for those who believe that Jesus rose from the dead, there is forgiveness of sin. Amen. Amen. That that garbage in our life that's eating us alive gets washed clean i am not that man anymore i'm not that person you know it's not the the illustration of the calf doesn't go far enough because jesus didn't come and just wash away the sin he made us brand new he's like man it can never it had it never has to have a hold on you again my calf could get fly strike 50 more times but not you know what the gospel has done in my life he's saved us to the to the uttermost I think about uh, Leonard Ravenhill. He made this quote. He says, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. That, that's what he did. He wasn't just coming and say, oh, let's change your behavior. Let's make sure you don't sin as much. He's like, no, no, let me, let me make you alive in Christ. Because what you don't realize is you're a dead man walking without him. You might be okay and think, oh, you know, it's all okay. But it, we're not. We're, we're, we're dead men walking. We're as good as dead. Sin will have its full way with us if we allow it to remain. But God's like, man, I, in his mercy and his love, he deals with it in our lives. But he deals with it in two ways. And that's where things try to sometimes get confusing. And here's the two things. Number one is justified, which means this is what he's already done. When Jesus hung on a cross, he took all my sin. All the past, all the present, all the future. He paid for it all. When he said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. When he looks at me, he sees Mark is being justified. And if you have a trouble remembering that, it's just as if I'd never sinned. He looks at your life and he says, man, if you follow and you put your trust in me, it's just as if you have never sinned. Yeah, but I sin sometimes. He's like, yeah, but I don't see that. I look at you as clean and washed because I'm looking at that. I'm looking at what Jesus did for you. You are 100% clean, even though you still miss the mark, even though you still sin. Once we realize that, guess what happens? The attitude of, God, what have you done for me lately? Just dies. You're like, man, look what he's done for me. Because he died and rose from the dead, I'm forgiven of sin. But he's not done there. See, because there's this other side, and we look at it, and sit, people sitting around here are like, yeah, but I still sin sometimes. Does that mean that that didn't work? Not at all. That, that worked because of what he did, not because of what we do. But it's a second word called sanctified. Justified is, means he took me out of sin. Sanctified is like he's taking the sin out of me. He took me out of sin. Now he's going to take the sin out of me. And sometimes people are like, yeah, no, 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 it's this way. And others are like, no, 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 it's this way. 
And I promise you that if you go either way too far, you're in a ditch of error on either side. These two, this paradox works in tandem with one another. The transformation began uh, at the cross and continues in our life till he perfects us in Christ. But we don't have to count on our behavior. It's what he's already done. And it's why, it's why we need to be reminded of the gospel even as believers. Man, today... Paul would have wrote to the, to the believers. He wrote to the Corinthians. He says, let me remind you, believers, of the good news. Because it continues to save, uh, save you as you stand firm in it. Christ died for our sins and, we, and was raised from the dead. He died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16. You can read along on the screen. It says this. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, Paul's like, this is the biggest deal. Because if there's no resurrection of the dead... Well, then Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You're still guilty in your sins. He's like, that doesn't matter if you sit in church on Sunday morning. If he didn't rise from the dead, there's no point to any of this. That's why that matters so much in anything we share with the world. It's that Christ rose from the dead. And as a result, there's forgiveness for your sin. Verse 18, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ, well, they're just lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, you know, that our lives here might be better. It's like we're more to be pitied than anyone else in the whole world. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He's saying this, man, because Christ raised from the dead, we will too. When you connect your life with resurrection life, the resurrected king is resurrecting you. That it's not, just, it's not just this all morality thing. It is this dead men becoming alive. That message is consistent through the whole New Testament. You go and you look through the, the New Testament letters and you read what Paul wrote to the Romans. He writes to the Romans about the gospel in Romans 1. And then in, verse, in chapter 6, he's like, so should we keep on sinning just because there's grace? He's like, no. Why? Because it's eating you alive. To the believers, he's saying, hey, yes, Jesus has done it, but don't get stuck in sin. Don't think that that's okay still. It's eating you alive. To the Corinthians, he writes to them and says, you guys, you guys are celebrating some crazy immorality in your church. You're like, oh, we have so much grace. Look at, look at the people we accept in our church. He's like, yeah, don't do that. Accept them, but do not allow that sin in their lives. Why? Because it's eating them alive. Galatians, he says, the works of the flesh, they're evident. And he gives his whole list of what they look like. And there's more to it than just the ones we want to point our fingers at. There's a whole bunch. He says, but the, but he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, man, is this, is this life. To the Ephesians, he writes, you were dead in sin. You were dead. It was eating you alive, but you're not there anymore. So don't live like that anymore. Live in the light, not in the dark. To the Philippians, he says, live like citizens of heaven. You're not citizens of earth here. You're not going to fit in. And that's 100% okay because they're getting eaten alive. Colossians, put off that old nature like old clothes. He's saying it to believers. Yeah, hey, put all that old stuff off. Put on the new. Thessalonians, he says, live to please God in these dark days. Man, that's word for us today. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. Live to please one, and that's him. Peter writes to the believers in, in, in First and Second Peter. He says, be holy just as he is holy. Be holy just as he is holy. And he says this, don't slip back into the old ways of sin. Why would Peter say don't slip back if it wasn't possible? And you and I are probably living proof that it's, you can slip back into old ways of sin. Those, those maggots still want a piece of you. 
He says, don't, don't do it. John writes in his letters, live in the light as he is in the light. Why? Because darkness has no room where the light shines. To the churches in Revelation, they had just been around for maybe 40 years when these letters were written to them. And five of the seven, John, it's actually Jesus speaking through John, tells them, repent of your sin and turn. So I don't think there's any error in us saying to a church today, you may need to consider repenting of sin and turning. Not feeling bad about it, but realizing what it is and saying, I want none of that. I want none of that. I don't want anything that's eating me alive. I don't care about it because sin still leads to death. And the truth is you're not dead anymore. You're alive. And that's why we can't simply accept, tolerate, embrace, or celebrate what he calls sin. We can't because it's eating alive. You know, culture in our culture downplays sin, tries to give it different names so it doesn't sound so sinful. It doesn't matter what they call it. What matters is what it's doing. And our hearts for the lost need to be in that area, not because, oh, you shouldn't do that because that's just disgusting. No, you shouldn't do that because it's eating you alive. And I know you don't have hope on your own, but we know there's hope because we found him. We're not any better than you. We're like some said, we're, we're like beggars showing other beggars where they can find bread. We're the ones who said, man, I've experienced his life in me. He's taken the darkness out of me. He can do the same for you to set your eyes on him. You know, it's easy to look around at our cultural climate and say we can point fingers all over there, but today's message has nothing to do with what's out there. It has to do with the mirror going, what's in here? Because as I read the list sometimes, I'm like, wow, look at all those, look at all those you know, sexual sins or whatever, but you know, the list on there is, is greed, gossip, my little lies, you know, my little lusts. Whatever it may be, he's pointing for those and says, man, they're on that same thing. Don't allow those things. You know, as you, as you hear it maybe this morning, you know, there's this guilty feeling, your guilty conscience, and I'm aware of that. And I think, you know, as I thought about it, I've said before, God doesn't use guilt, he doesn't. But if there's guilt, can I just say this? It just, it just shows that there's a presence of holiness in your life. It means Holy Spirit is at work. When holiness comes, when light comes, it reveals darkness. And it doesn't reveal it to you know, incite this fear of, you know, God's going to judge me, he's going to get me. No, it's that invitation to say, hey, come on, let me clean you up. Just set your eyes on me. Let, 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 let me clean you up. You don't really want that. You don't really want that. You know, I'd say this as a close this morning, that in my life, struggling with addiction in, in portions of my life, I found that the one, one thing that led to freedom was this. That as I truly spent time with Christ, more and more, that the other stuff just lost its, lost its hooks, lost its desire. As you get to a place, I remember getting to that spot where all of a sudden I saw some of these things that would have tempted me in the past. And I looked at them and was like, I don't want that, I want him. And I realized that's become my, na- my instant response. I don't want that, I want him. And even in the moment sometimes, it's just not like I feel like I want him. But that thought of saying, oh, I don't want that, I want him, leads me right back to where I need to be. Eyes on him. Light shining in. Not allowing any of that darkness to ever return. So I'll leave you with this thought. The solution today, because there is a solution, there is hope, is not to stop sinning. Just try and stop sinning because, you know, it's eating you alive. We, we can't do it. It's, it's not behavior modification at all. It is one thing. It is about surrendering to him. 
like that calf had no hope until it surrendered to us. We have no hope until we just surrender to Jesus. And that's not a one-time thing. That's a lifestyle thing. Saying, Jesus, I surrender to you today. Lord, would you, would you help me get connected to resurrection life? That death has no form of death, has any, any hold on me simply. It just cannot survive because you're here. Would Jesus say, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Stay connected to me, you'll bear fruit. Stick like our eyes, just you know, run your race. Keep your eyes set on him over and over and over. It's like, don't worry about all that stuff. Just get your eyes here. And I would say the flip side of that is, if you're not worried about that stuff, sometimes we need to worry about that stuff and realize it's killing us. And say, I don't want that. Jesus, I, I want you. I want you. And that, as we come all the way back to the beginning, where we said, we're designed to always want a little bit more. Sin broke that in us, led us into all kinds of traps and things. But we were designed that way. Why? Because there's only one thing that can fulfill that, and that's him. Do you realize in heaven today, the angels surround the throne of God, and as he reveals a little bit more of himself, they hit the deck yelling, holy, holy, holy. The elders who sit on the thrones around, every time they see a little glimpse of God's holiness as the angels are shut, they hit the deck, and they're like, whoa, and it's like, crawl back up and get on their thrones like wow we've seen it all boom there's a wow and they there's no shortage i don't know if as believers that we truly believe that but that is his call that is that desire that that would be the one thing the only thing that will ever lead us to that that we'd be connected to resurrection life jesus statement when he was with martha what does he say to her martha i'm the resurrection and the life if you whoever believes in me they're not going to die he who trusts in me, not going to die. Even if they die here, they're not dying. Why? Because I've made dead men live. And then he says this statement, do you believe that, Martha? Puts her name in there. I think it's important and intentional. We know he's talking to Martha. Why does he put the name there? Because I think that you need to put your name there. I think as it's written that way is that you would put your name there. Do you believe that? So I was reading through this a couple of weeks ago. I just jotted it down. Mark. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe he's resurrection life? I do. I do. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe that that's the only reason I'm forgiven of sin. And I will praise his name for the rest of eternity for that one thing alone. That one thing alone. Let me leave you with the scripture, Hebrews chapter 3. We referenced it at the very beginning. Because in all of my shouting today, my hope is that you didn't just hear my voice. In all of my sweating, I don't know what's happened. The lights are hot or something, but my prayer is that you, if you heard his voice here, verse 12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. He's writing to believers. You must warn each other every day, which is what my hope was today, while it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says? Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's all I can do this morning. But my prayer is that if you've heard his voice, oh man, that you would just... Simply obey. For you this morning, maybe that's be, you're here and you don't know Christ. Came to church, you're like, what was all this about? 
And all of a sudden, as you're sitting here, like they sing happy birthday, they sing, and you're just like, wham, something hit you here. And you're like, man, I'm that, I'm that person. Like when you talk about sin and whatever, yeah, I'm that guy. I feel like hopeless. I don't know what to do. He's reaching for you today. And he's calling for your surrender to him. To say, Jesus, here's my life. Would you clean me up? Because I can't. God, would you take my life? I will, I'll live it for you. He'll do that. But maybe you're here and you're a Jesus follower like me. And it's just one of those reminders as you look at his words like, oh, yeah, you know what, Mark? This, this little gossip thing, like, man, it's eating you alive, son. It's eating you alive. You're right, God, I don't want that. Would you do in me whatever needs to be done that that, just, just take that out. I just want you. If that's you this morning, I pray you just run to him. Go home, grab out your word, just, Lord, like, I want you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are that you reveal yourself through your word, that you are resurrection life, that you're resurrecting us. You've made us alive in you. I'm thankful for it. Lord, I sense your presence in this place this morning. I believe you're working in people's hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that whatever you desired to happen this morning would, would fully happen, that the enemy has no place to lie, steal, deceive, that the words that are spoken this morning, your words would, be, would, would, would find good soil would bear fruit, would not be quickly forgotten. Lord, as we continue to live through this life with you, Lord, thank you for guiding, directing our steps. Thank you for continuing to work in our lives, drawing us to you. Jesus, as our eyes continue to be set on you, (laughs) Lord, would you lead, lead us in the way that reveals you to the world around us. They might see your kindness be drawn to repentance, to change of heart and change of mind. Lord, may heaven be fully populated simply because of what you're doing through your church. Lord, may we be passionate once again about the fact that you've risen from the dead and we are forgiven of sin. What a gift. What a gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Pray this in your name and to your glory. Amen. Amen. Go think about that today. And have a fantastic day. Uh, If you're here this morning, you want somebody to pray with you or just to chat, happy to do that. Uh, There's a number of people here that would love to do that. If you have kids downstairs in kids' church, please go get them first and then feel free to hang out here. There's nothing else to do. It's raining. So uh, make some good friendships, have some free coffee, and uh, we'll see you again soon.